right, we are going to turn this morning to Exodus 15, just continuing uh, in that series or in our series following through the different chapters of this uh, Old Testament book. And uh, we come this morning to what is the first recorded song that we have in the Bible. And so follow with me. Uh, look at the content uh, of this Song, And I'm going to, of course, be speaking to that in a few minutes. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your, your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heat of the sea, in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide my spoil. My desire shall have its full of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness and awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes, seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess and sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. And all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Lord, I do pray that as we consider this passage this morning, that you would help us, each one of us, not simply to gain information or biblical knowledge in the head, but Lord, may our hearts be touched and stirred this morning, uh, leading us forward in exalting you, even as uh, these people did on that day, knowing that there is no God like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing 
wonders. This we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I do. <coughs> excuse me. I do want to. Well, let me. I want to start again this morning by asking a question. And the question that I found an, an answer to, at least a suggestion of an answer that we're going to work from this morning. But the question simply is this, and it's a question, uh, a lady by the name of Susan Jacques, uh, in an article entitled, The Human Condition, and here's the question, why we like to sing. Have you thought about that? Why do you like to sing? Why do you sing? Well, she writes about singing, she says, we do it in the shower. We do it in the car, we do it under our breath at the office, and when no one is at home, we, we even do it in front of the mirror. Okay, some of you do that, I can see you do. And some of us do it in the rain. And then she goes on and she sums it up very well. She says, what separates us from the professionals is that they sound good. Okay, we don't, I don't sound good, I sound terrible. Article continues, in fact, she concludes quoting a lady, another lady, to be fair, I quote her name as well, Margaret Shaper, and she says, and, and, and here's the issue I want you to think about this morning as we unpack this passage. We sing because something inside of us needs to express something beyond words. That's why I prayed this morning, not just head knowledge. As believers, there ought to be, there should be, there must be something inside of you that moves you to sing. Because you just can't help it because you don't have words to articulate that which you are feeling. Well, I think it is true to say these were secular authors that I'm quoting. So that's something that she refers to could be one of a million things. Different reasons people have to sing. What, however, is clear to me as we turn to this particular passage is that God gave to Moses, God gave to the people of Israel what I want to call this morning the ultimate good reason to sing. That's what we're going to consider. It'll be a brief sermon today, uh, the ultimate good reason to sing. And so my first point this morning, reasons prompting Moses and the people of Israel to sing. In any passage that I am going to teach or preach, I look for obvious patterns or obvious words that would help me understand and interpret the passage in preaching it and then applying it. Well, it was very obvious to me after reading this passage a few times that there are multiple pronouns. Okay, if you don't remember your... Uh, English grammar, uh, pronoun is simply a he, she, it, they, them uh, type of word. So pronouns, the pronouns in our passage are crucial. Now I need to say something in the context of 2021 about pronouns. There is a lunacy afoot in the world to do away with the specificity of pronouns. And so unlike the lunacy that's afoot in the world today, where it's the trend, very uh, great trend, to do away with what I would call gender and number-based pronouns, where he and she is confusingly and supposedly now they or them. That 
creates confusion. The Bible is not like that. The Holy Spirit makes use of what I would call sane and precise practice of pronouns. For the specific pronouns give clarity, great clarity about identity, especially the identity of those spoken about in the passage. Now let me try and run through that just very briefly uh, for you. We know as you sit here this morning, as you look at this passage, as I've studied this passage, we know without any doubt the identity of the I. When we begin to read the passage, the identity of the I in our text is those... They have good reason to sing. We know who the your, the your refers to in carrying out the supernatural deliverance of Israel from bondage unto Pharaoh. I, your. We know as we continue in the passage, the other I. There's another I. The other I refers to the misguided perceptions of might and power of Pharaoh. We know who the you refers to, again, as we move on in the passage, referring to in identifying further good reasons why Moses and the people of Israel can sing. And so it was obvious to me, as I studied this passage, that the pronouns can lead us and challenge us, inspire us to see the reason why Moses and the people of Israel could do no other than sing. Well, what's the first reason? Simply what the Lord has done. That's a simple reason. There was no doubt in any of their minds as to what the Lord had done. We read that in the opening verses of, of the passage. Uh, he had triumphed gloriously. There was victory. And, and how was that victory accomplished? How was it demonstrated? What had the Lord done? By throwing the horse and rider into the sea. And this is not just some kind of myth. This is historical reality. These people witnessing the supernatural intervention and action of God. And, and let's just take a step back again as we unfold this passage. The Lord had done this because He is a man of war. What does that mean? Well, God fights the enemies, not only of His people, but the enemies that are against him. People like Pharaoh who refuse and, and dig their heels in. Who is the Lord that, that we should or I should obey him? So the Lord is, is a man of war. Uh, he has strength, we're told in verse 2. In verse 6, he has power. Just a quick analysis of the word throne. Throne suggests throwing something with great intent and force. Let's not forget context. At that time, and for many generations, Egypt had been under the rule of various pharaohs for 130 years. They were known to be a formidable force. They were known to be the strongest nation in the world. And so it's not surprising that, that this pharaoh, this particular pharaoh, uh, as spoken of in the song as the enemy, imagined himself to be invincible. He was the conqueror, that he would continue to be the conqueror, the one who would always be victorious. And so he stipulates and, and declares, the people declare his attitude, I will pursue, is what Pharaoh says. I will overtake, I will divide and the spoil. My desire will be satisfied on them. I will draw uh, my sword or by sword, my hand shall destroy them. Do you get the picture? But the facts on the ground on that day 
did not match the imagination and the delusion of Pharaoh and his armies. In spite of their strength, in spite of the 430 years of what appeared to be an invincible nation, the people of Israel watched and saw the salvation of God. And again, a whole bunch of verses. Look at the pronouns from verse 6. Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. By the way, that's called an anthropomorphism. It's a way of expressing things about God in human language. God doesn't have a physical hand. You send out fury, verse 7. Uh, verse seven. It consumes them like stubble. Verse 8, at the blast of, get this, at the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. Do you get God just breathing out or sneezing? The picture again to show something of the bigness and the power and the might of God. Verse 10, you blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Verse 12, you stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. Verse 13, you have led in your steadfast love the people you redeemed. You have guided them. Your strength, your holy abode. Do you get the idea? There are players involved. There is God and there's Pharaoh and there's Moses and the people of Israel. And the conclusion of the singers is, is man, we, we can do no other but, but be in awe of God. They're in awe of God for what He had done. And, 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 and even, could we say this morning, and, and I don't know if you're familiar with this little phrase, God who had given them a glimpse of his little pinky at work in wiping out the enemy. Just little pinky. It's not hard for them to see that God is in a category of his own. Yes, there are other beings and, and things that men, men call gods, and, but only God is worthy of praise. And they get to this in verse 11. Uh, I think it's the center of, of the entire song. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? And so there is something within these people in Moses that, that stirs and, and leads them to sing because they've seen something of the mighty work of what God has done. Now, having seen what God had done, it was not difficult for them to sing, and there's a lesson for us to learn over here, to sing about what the Lord would do in the future. The past performance gives insights into the expectations of the future. So in other words, there's a second reason to sing. Not only what the Lord will do, uh, what the Lord has done, but also what the Lord will do. So Moses and the people of Israel are now able to look forward. Now remember, this has just happened. And yet the song contains content about what the Lord will do in the future. There's a sense of anticipation going beyond the triumph over Pharaoh. And they now speak of the victory over the enemies, those that they will encounter in Canaan. Uh, all of whom that they see now and described in verse 15 as those who will melt away before this glorious God. Now, even in those days where communication was very different, it was inevitable that the news of what happened at the Red Sea, uh, the Israel crossing on dry ground and, and Pharaoh and his armies drowning in the sea, that, that word would get to the nations of Canaan. And so 
It caused them, it would cause them to experience, as we read in verse 14, sorrow, and verse 15, dismay, and, and, and trembling, and, and verse 16, fear, and, and, and dread. They, they, were, they were shaking in their boots because they, in spite of where they'd been and where they are, they, they were no match to what they were hearing, what, was, what had happened at the Red Sea. And so the anticipated victory on the behalf of Moses and the Israelites was so certain they could sing as if it already was an established fact. Verse 13, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Again, I want to just uh, draw your attention to the pronouns. Verse 13, also verse 17. And, and again, there's application here for us. Who can be trusted for the future fulfillment of promises that God has made? Well, it's God himself. Verse, verse 13, uh, as I've read, you have led your steadfast love. You have redeemed. Verse 17, you will bring them in and plant them on your own uh, mountain. You have made your abode. Uh, your hands have established. Moses and the people of Israel had good reason to sing based on what they'd seen God do and what they could expect for, from him in the future. And so that, that leads to a, 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 an intermediate kind of conclusion. Them understanding, Moses underscoring something about God when we, we get a little bit further in the passage in, in verse 18. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Well, the first song uh, by Moses and the people ending as it started. Verse 19. Simply declaring the supernatural deliverance by God of his chosen people. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea upon them. The people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. So that gets us to the end of the first uh, part of the passage. But I want to move on because now there is uh, a second song that we are told about. That's my second point, reasons prompting Miriam and the woman of Israel to sing. Now, what's been happening? You've literally had tens of thousands of people uh, stirred inwardly to sing with gratitude and praise to God. And, and, and they get to the end of the song, and, and, and then we read that this, the singing doesn't stop. Ladies, I think ladies are more emotional than men, generally speaking. Wonderfully so. And we see that in this passage, the, the women can't contain themselves. And they, they're overwhelmed with, with awe and, and amazement and, and excitement to, to have seen what, what God has done. And, and so Miriam, heading up this exuberant crowd of women who were playing tambourines and dancing with great delight, Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider He has thrown into sea. Nothing new. Nothing new. Simply a repeat. Miriam prompted to repeat in song, stirred inside of her that which she needed to express in song, the declaration of God's merciful and supernatural deliverance. Now we can't leave the matter in Exodus 15. It must be taken further. The song of Moses, the song of Miriam, point us ahead to another event. An event, a time when those who have experienced a greater deliverance, the greater deliverance that we shared uh, and pointed to this morning around this table, 
And so my third point this morning, reasons prompting the redeemed of all ages to sing. This is not just my imagination seeking to elaborate a sermon, but there is to be at the end of the age as we know it, a gathering of every believer with reason to sing. Revelation chapter 15 and verse 3. You can read the whole passage. It's very interesting, but I'm just going to focus on the third verse. We're given a glimpse of what these people are going to be doing. And they sing the song of Moses. Exodus 15, the song of Moses and the servant of God. And added to that, the song of the Lamb saying, Great and amazing are your, de- are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Do, do, do you see again, there's a pattern here. There's a, there's a repeated pattern. We get to see the reason that we're going to be singing uh, at the end of time, uh, in heaven, before the throne of God, in His presence, a glimpse into this future gathering of the people of God who are in awe of what? His great and amazing deeds. Stirred again, looking at what He's done. Looking at what he does, his great and amazing deeds having to do with deliverance. And, and we talk about deliverance, specific deliverance of sinful men and women by Jesus. Jesus is the deliverer and his atoning work that he accomplished on the cross. This is no small thing that we celebrate at the Lord's table. And so therefore the title of the song, the song of Moses, the song of the Lamb. Quoting an author, Jeffrey Wilson, he says, The deliverance God wrought through his servant Moses foreshadowed that which he wrought through the Lamb, Jesus. The continuity of God's saving purposes in both eras, Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament phrases which make up that old hymn in Exodus 15 can be applied to the greater Exodus which he accomplished through Christ. See how the Bible pulls things together? Leads me to a fourth point this morning. Reasons prompting you to sing. What are the reasons that prompts you to sing? It is a fact that God's people sing. I was speaking to one of our friends in the church, members yesterday, and he was telling me of a church in Pretoria of deaf people. And he was telling me how they sing. Because they're God's people. They sing. They sing. We look at the Psalms. The Psalms are evidence of God's people singing repeatedly, constantly. Just one example. There are literally dozens of examples. Psalm 108 verse 3. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Something inside the people of God, reason to sing. The song of Moses, yes, may have been the first song, uh, recorded song anyway, uh, sang in response to God and His mighty works. But you know what? Ever since then, down through the ages, God's people have been singing and are singing. Just because we met at the Lord's table today, I included also 
Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. This is after Jesus had instituted the Lord's uh, Supper. And when they had sung a hymn, they went on to the Mount of Olives. The response and the privilege of praise to God for all He has done and still will do. There's a comment again I found in the pulpit commentary. For benefits received is one to which no religious mind can be indifferent. Folks, there's a challenge in that phrase. If you claim to be a believer and you're indifferent to the benefits that you've received and what Christ has achieved and it's like water of a duck's back to you, you can't be a believer. You can't be. No, you can't be indifferent. If God has gifted us with the faculty of song, it is right that the first use we make of it should be to extol His goodness. We ought to sing. So what about you and what about us as a local church? Are you able to look back with the kind of clarity that Mark gave us in his own testimony today with gratitude what God has done? And I'm going to close this message with just various songs that I just picked up in my own mind, songs that I've come to like and enjoy down through the years Are you able to look back with gratitude and sing like Charles Wesley? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? He gets it. He's a sinner lost under condemnation, and God is holy and not uh, not to be trifled with. Died He for me who caused His pain, for me who Him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me? He got to sing about it. Can't, he can't ignore that. This is not something that is, is, is superfluous. What about the very well-known Amazing Grace by John Newton? God lifted him up literally from the gutter. Drunkard, blasphemer, uh, lost to this world and lost to God. God reached down to him. God intervened. God supernaturally converted him, made him alive in Christ. And he wrote this song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. Now I'm found. was blind, but now I see. There's a modern addition to that uh, song, and I thought I'd quote that verse as well. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love. One more song, uh, a newer song, You're the glorious Christ, the greatest of all delights. Your power is unequaled, your love beyond all heights. No greater sacrifice than when you lay down your life. Do you see the point? Looking back, what God has done. And then the very next line, We join the song of angels who praise you day and night. Glorious Christ. And then my second question to us, to you, to me this morning, are you able to look forward in anticipation and sing? Look back, look forward. Just one song. Maybe most of you don't know this song. It's an old hymn. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing His mercy and His grace. In the mansion bright and blessed, He'll prepare for us a place. You see the anticipation. 
When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. I want to end with a quote I started with this morning. Uh, the reason we sing. We sing because something inside of us needs to express something beyond words. And so to ask this morning, is that something stirring inside of you about Jesus and His redeeming work on the cross? Important question. Knowing yourself to be a recipient of the benefits of that work, without which, as a sinner under condemnation, you remain under the wrath of God. Is that something that stirs inside of you about Jesus and what He promised? And folk, when you go through difficulties, not only what Christ has done, but that which He promised will be part of how God carries you through. Do you have reason to sing? I hope so, because we're going to sing. Gabby's going to come and lead us. We're going to sing just, I think, a couple of songs to the honor and glory of God. And so, Lord, as we conclude this service, I do pray that uh, this reality of your Holy Spirit at work within our hearts, I pray, Lord, that you would take us beyond, beyond mere emotionalism, but we would be a people touched by not only the truth of that which you have done, but the truth, Lord, of that which you have also promised Oh, Father, give us faith to believe. Amen.